Hello and welcome to Stump Death and Taxes. This is Meep, also known as Mary Pat Campbell. I'm a live actuary, so I'm really into mortality trends. And today I am talking about mortality trends, but a very odd aspect of something that I bring up a lot, which is cognitive biases and, and things that I battle often, implicitly, if not explicitly. And you were like, what is this about cognitive biases and mortality trends? That's because I'm cognitively biased, I'm going to die early? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh cognitive biases people have with regards to mortality trends, and it's two specific ones, uh, confirmation bias and availability bias. Now, I'm going to be <laughs> talking about some strange and some nasty mortality trends, um, and one of the strange ones was this spate of supposedly mysterious deaths in the Dominican Republic of people from New York, but also, you know, from around the U.S. Uh, in the summer of 2019, spring and summer of 2019. And I'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but also drug overdoses, accidental drug overdoses and gun deaths. Uh, so yeah, this is not necessarily going to be pleasant. So, you know, if you want to bow out, I totally understand. Um, but these two things, confirmation bias and availability bias also came up with regards to COVID a lot. Uh, so maybe just hang in for the definition of these two biases and then check out when I start getting into the examples. So confirmation bias is basically the tendency to seek evidence that confirms one's preferred explanation or solution, and then avoiding evidence or not seeking out evidence that contradicts um, or disconfirms it. Uh, so I wrote an article on cognitive bias in general back in April 2010. So yeah, I've been looking at this for a while and confirmation bias is one that has been on my mind for a long time. Uh, the scientific process has, you know, some processes that are supposed to prevent confirmation bias, but it does happen all the time with individual scientists. They may prematurely hit upon an explanation or a solution to their problem and then they, you know, do not they might actively seek evidence that will cement their preferred explanation and then they'll be cemented even more strongly in that position and then alternative solutions are ignored or discounted. The particular example I used in my article and so I will uh, read from my article. So here we go. Time and again, one hears stories where a commonly seen effect is ignored by scientists for years as noise, coincidence, or irrelevant. Only later, other people without these built-in preconceptions can make real breakthroughs. For example, in the article, Accept Defeat, The Neuroscience of Screwing Up, author Jonah Lehrer recounts the story of Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson who had been trying to make a detailed map of the Milky Way. 
They had built a very sensitive radio telescope and in tuning it up, discovered some noise wherever they pointed their telescope. Their original assumption was that there was something wrong with their setup or their equipment and thus spent a long time troubleshooting something that wasn't actually trouble. But that background radiation never went away. For a year, they simply ignored that noise to make the measurements they had set out to make. Luckily, they did decide to really look into it and considered the noise to be a very real signal. This noise was evidence of the Big Bang, and Penzias and Wilson later shared the Nobel Prize in physics because of this discovery. How often has this happened to you? You entirely miss a solution to a problem because you've already decided on an answer and ignore all signals outside of your expectation. And so that's the issue of confirmation bias. You ignore any signals outside of what you prefer to look at. So confirmation bias doesn't necessarily mean explicitly ignoring contradictory or disconfirming ed evidence. Usually, all that is involved is not deliberately seeking out anything that would show flaws in the predetermined decision. Kevin Dunbar, who studies how scientists actually do science in the lab, had found many times scientists would go to a certain point to explain away anomalous results, but would simply label such results as outliers or throw them away and not publish them. Imagine if Penzias and Wilson kept masking out that universal background radiation. Another example of this bias can be found in Professor Michael A. Roberto's study of the 2003 Columbia Space Shuttle disaster. Managers at NASA had already decided that foam strikes weren't dangerous to the shuttles and set up a system that would keep confirming that decision while not seeking out anything that might show these strikes to be dangerous. Launch cameras weren't maintained properly, so they couldn't get a good estimate of how much damage had occurred to Columbia upon launch when there was a foam strike. Previous foam strikes didn't end in disaster, but they were much smaller than the strike that ultimately destroyed Columbia. One engineer did think there was a danger, but he was actively ignored by the mission managers, while an expert who didn't think the strikes were a problem was the one who was consulted. They didn't want to hear there was a problem, and the, therefore there was no problem until the shuttle disintegrated upon re-entry, and that was a problem that was hard to ignore. So that's not what I mean by the mortality trends. The issue with the confirmation bias is many times, and I'll just mention COVID in this case, a lot of people had certain explanations for certain patterns that they were seeing and did not consider any alternative explanations for patterns they were seeing and therefore they had a confirmation or they only do here's the thing google searches or bing searches or whatever searches on the preferred explanation they were seeking for confirmation bias is the bias that comes from getting the data that only comes for what you explicitly seek for the opposite of this is availability bias. And availability bias, it's also called the availability heuristic, um, has to do with what comes easily to mind and you think what comes easily to mind must be more prevalent. So here, this one is coming from Wikipedia. And um, I have the availability heuristic or availability bias is a mental shortcut 
that relies on immediate examples that come to a given person's mind when evaluating a specific topic, concept, method, or decision. This heuristic operating on the notion that if something can be recalled, it must be important or at least more important than alternative solutions not as readily recalled is inherently biased toward recently acquired information. And this can also be recency bias. But uh, this is not just availability heuristic. This is also thinking something is more likely because you can, uh, you can think of more examples of it. So why is, do I call this the flip side of confirmation bias? So confirmation bias is you go seeking out specific information, but rather than spreading a broad net to think about all possible explanations or solutions to what you are seeing, you are only looking out for data that support the specific solution that you have decided upon. Availability bias or heuristic is the world has pre-selected the data for you. And by the world, I'm going to change that to say, oh, I don't know, mass media has chosen something as newsworthy, say, and has reported on a whole bunch of things that it knows the audience will find very interesting. But the reason it's reporting on it might be it's rare, it's flashy. And you may think something is more likely than it actually is. So here we're getting into the nasty stuff. And if you're not interested in the nasty stuff, bye-bye. You can hear me another time. This is, of course, gun deaths. I'm not going to get into all the statistics on gun deaths because, again, this is an availability bias. Um, I was recently on a BBC podcast called More or Less. Now, I talked with the person for, you know, quite a bit. And, of course, this is a 10-minute podcast. They had uh, three different people quoted for different things with regards to U.S. mortality trends. And I was quoted on um, something with regards to gun deaths and uh, with regards to uh, drug overdoses. So I'll get back to the drug overdoses in a bit. But one of the things I was quoted on gun deaths is uh, that what a lot of people do not know, and this is true, and this is, relates to the availability bias, is that over half of gun deaths are suicides and sometimes by quite a lot. It got closer to 50%. Um, recently with an increase in homicide in general. And I'm not going to talk more about that right now, but most people do not realize how much more gun suicides outnumber gun, gun homicides. And that is due to an availability bias because what gets reported in the news? Well, <laughs> what do you think? Suicides are not in general reported and also what kind of suicides if they get reported in the news which ones get reported well actually not the most common ones um, the most common suicides are of older men if the men are not celebrities of some sort you're not going to hear about it a lot of people get a misleading quote gut sense which is of course sometimes very right for certain kinds of things. For everyday sort of experiences, your availability heuristic, even your confirmation bias, is not going to lead you wrong. The reason these cognitive biases or basically heuristics or 
cognitive shortcuts exist is because they work in most normal circumstances. If they didn't work, <laughs> they would have been causing so much trouble uh, throughout. I mean, they do cause trouble, by the way. But in terms of, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, they would have caused way too much trouble if they led us wrong in normal situations, especially survivorship situations that humans had to deal with over hundreds of thousands of years. Most of the time, humans are having to deal with normal circumstances, and what you saw recently is going to be a good gauge for what you're going to have to deal with. However, you know, we did not evolve for mass media, and so mass media is triggering uh, these biases that we have in our brains that, you know, are, are giving us inaccurate worldviews. So I mentioned one of the trends I was looking at with regards to deaths happened in 2019. And one of the posts was, Mortality With Me, how many deaths before it's no longer a coincidence? And it had to do with a story that ran of New Jersey man 55 is latest case of tourist death in Dominican Republic. And so, you know, going through this man's death and mentioning seven other recent deaths said that there had been nine deaths of U.S. tourists in the Dominican Republic involving alcohol. Okay. And I decided, like, okay, how much of this is coincidence? And the Dominican Ministry of Tourism has announced what it has called an overreaction to what it characterized as coincidental. And I said, well, they would say that, but perhaps it's true. Let's estimate. And let's, before I get into what I estimated, this had to do with, you know, what is the bias here? And part of the bias here is the confirmation bias. The people were assuming that something nefarious had to have been going on as opposed to, well, wait a second, what's the base rate? Um, so their explanation is some nefarious doings or conspiracy, deep conspiracy. Um, so I actually went into it and said, okay, well, let me do an estimate how many tourists go to the Dominican Republic on vacation and about how many would die in the Dominican Republic? And, you know, a lot of them do booze up. And I estimated, went through various estimates, and nine people out of about, 30, what did I have? 38,500, what is it? 38,500 people years and came up with an annualized death rate of 0.023% in the Dominican Republic and found that that was not too bad. This was not necessarily that high of a mortality rate that it could really be a coincidence. Yes, there are sudden deaths, but you know what? Sudden deaths do occur, and for some conspiracy theory theorists in the audience 
sudden deaths do occur in real life. It occurred to my father back in 1990 who died of a heart attack at age 38. 1990. It does occur. It has happened in real life. So this is something to think about when you're dealing with confirmation bias. And I actually tried to figure out at what level of tourist deaths would I really start get, getting suspicious. So in that post, I made my own estimate at, of if 225 Americans who were tourists in the Dominican Republic, so visiting the Dominican Republic, and they died in one year, 225, I might start to get suspicious. Um, and that's about 225 minus 193. That's 32 excess deaths. Uh, so I was figuring out what I considered excess deaths to be suspicious levels. That was 2019. I am just putting this out here that this was trying to figure out what is the base rate. What do I need to figure out? Now, this is from a confirmation bias point of view. I actually ended up doing a multiple of posts about these Dominican Republic deaths because I think the real confirmation bias here was that maybe there was a slow amount of news going on in 2019 at the time. And, you know, people were like, oh, what? Well, think of the shark attack news that were occurring in, I don't know, summer of 2001 until some real news pushed it off the pages that uh, the news, newspapers and magazines and the definitely cable news channels have to fill column inches and hours and airtime that they're always going to find something. And I think this was one of those somethings. I believe there was just people normally boozing it up and you get accidental deaths that way. So um, it turns out, in my own opinion, that this was more of a public relations problem for the Dominican Republic because the news media in New York City, and a lot of people from New York City have a direct connection to the Dominican Republic. That's the real hook. And of course, a lot of them go to the Dominican Republic. And of course, because there's a lot of visitors, a certain number will die, you know, every year. And if there's some slow news days, you know, a bored reporter who needs to fill some articles, well, they can probably find someone who died recently and write about it. So that is my opinion on that one, uh, because generally what will, they'll say, okay, this happened, but you don't find many articles writing about what did not happen. And that's also the availability bias. So this is one of the things that occurred when I started writing more posts it was more about the media aspect of it and kind of the bias and how to deal with the public relations 
aspect that the Dominican Republic had to deal with. Um, I think they probably just powered through just fine. Um, but I don't think anything in particular was going on with the Dominican Republic. I just think that, you know, it was just some bored media and you get these clumps of deaths sometimes and it just naturally happens. And how do you deal with these biases? How do you deal with the fact that your brain, based on the way it was evolved to work, it was not evolved to do this careful, logical cognition. You have to explicitly train yourself to a certain discipline to make sure you consider alternative explanations because it's just all too easy to fall into the habits of thought of, ah, you know, I, I feel satisfied. I have an explanation that works. Why do I need to reach farther? Well, the reason you need to reach farther is because that plausible explanation might fail on a point or an, on a dimension that you didn't push. And of course, the person <laughs> that I remember coming up with these satisfying explanations that all it took was just a little more experience, a little more questioning, reaching beyond the plausible, reaching beyond that confirmation bias. This person <laughs> is Malcolm Gladwell. I haven't read anything he's written recently so maybe he's grown past his credulity that was his biggest weakness uh early on at least um so one of the problems i've always had with his stuff he, you know great writer great storyteller you know can tell a fabulous story but like whatever the central point of his story of his just so stories, and they really did come across as just so stories, is that there were glaring problems in the explanations, and all it needed was someone who had something of some life experience who could say, no, but that's not how that works. And there were a lot of disconfirming evidence for his theories that he didn't even consider alternative explanations. And some of these were all you had to do was find people who were experts in the area. No, it, it, there is a reason sometimes that, oh, here's, here is this iconoclast who has this different theory, totally different from all the experts. Well, there's a reason why. And that, that reason sometimes is because that iconoclast is completely wrong. Um, it can sound, isn't that it, wouldn't it be beautiful if it were true? Well, yeah, sometimes it would be beautiful if it were true, except it is not. And the the one thing that makes it not beautiful is that it's completely false. Um, the things that are really beautiful are that they are true and these other things as well. Okay, let me not get too deep into philosophy here. Uh, the issue is that it is nice to have a beautiful explanation that works the way you would love it to work. However, it's better for it to work the way you would like it to work and it be true. So it's good to go looking for 
other explanations. And that's what I'm often looking for is, is there more than one explanation? And this is why I'm often reading authors that I don't agree with, uh, who make strong cases. And I also can see perhaps they are correct. I just don't happen to agree with them. And I look at the evidence they bring together and, you know, I try to see, can I rebut it? So that's what I do to deal with confirmation bias is look for the strongest opponents of my proposed theories. Now, often I'm looking at stuff by myself and no one else is looking at the, the particular thing. So I don't have any particular opponents. So I try to think of as many different explanations or solutions and try not to settle prematurely on a solution. I mean, keeping an open mind involves keeping open the possibility that you may be wrong. That's that's an issue. Now, uh, another thing that um, I'm going to talk about, I mentioned was drug overdoses, and this involves confirmation bias and also availability bias in that a lot of people don't necessarily have direct ex- a direct experience in this case with regards to drug overdose deaths, but they remember research that happens to be old, um, that when I was looking at the drug overdose death trends, I'm looking at a very high level with the numbers and people were assuming, oh, it's deaths of despair. And then I'm seeing this acceleration and why would it accelerate like this, if it's supposedly that Oxycontin, um, Oxy deaths of despair and, you know, pain, prescriptive drug, prescription drugs, et cetera, et cetera. And this is just at the very high level. I'm not even looking at the drugs, um, specifically involved to begin with. And people were seeing this, oh yeah, it's poor people, yada, yada. And that's before I start digging into it. This is like a confirmation bias in terms of just being dismissive and assuming you have the answer already. That's part of confirmation bias, not even looking. The point is go look. You just remember something and you're saying recency of something you heard recently. Most people hadn't heard anything recently. They just remembered the result from 10 years before, not something that was actually relevant recently. That was the other issue. So then when um, we're starting to look at socioeconomic split out by counties and this, that, and the other, we did notice, yeah, you had certain hotspots, West Virginia and some other uh, economically depressed areas with regards to the oxy-related ODs, when it hit the mid 20 teens, like 2014 or so, and it really took off, the drug changed to the synthetic opioids, specifically fentanyl. And it was not just the quote, poor areas. It was all over the place at all income levels. So now you could still say maybe these are deaths of despair per se, and it could still be related to pain. I have a chronic pain situation myself, and I have tried staying away 
from um, the pain medications, pr primarily because mine is nerve pain and stuff that is centered around um, muscular pain. It doesn't work so well. Um, and it just, it, you know, you don't want to start going down that path. It just snowballs. Um, in any case, I'm just staying away from that for right now. Um, but I can see how it goes in that direction. I have a lot of friends who are in a similar situation in that we have pain that is related to our, to our nerves directly or our spines. Um, and it's coming directly from that. Um, and you can start going down the surgery and drugs, uh, situation. And then you have states where they think it was the prescription drugs that caused the ODs versus <laughs> it being illicit drugs that the deaths are coming from. And now I see a variety of states considering decriminalizing the use of, say, fentanyl or meth or other, you know, not marijuana, but fairly hard drugs. And that may, of course, end up with more drug overdose deaths because perhaps more people will use those drugs, not because they need pain relief. Again, um, you don't know. You have to think of multiple dynamics going on. People may not be using these drugs because they have physical pain. They may be doing other things. I, you know, it's hard for me to say. Some people do, and this is how they are getting relief, and then they have, um, you know, they habituate to that level and need higher and higher doses to get pain relief. That is one dynamic to be sure. But there are other people who are using opiates, opioids, for other reasons other than pain relief. Similar to other drugs of why do people use cocaine or marijuana or other drugs? There's all sorts of reasons. Some can end in death, some end in not using them anymore because you don't get the results you want. It can do many things. I mean, so my point is if you're going into these trying to think about trends and your point is you want a solution or an explanation that is emotionally satisfying to you, and that's your point, then fine, let your biases cognitively or emotionally run rampant. But for me, I am trying to figure out what the dynamics of a situation are. I'm trying to figure out what the cause-effect cycle was in the past and potentially what different policy choices may occur and what results in the future. So these are the kinds of goals I'm looking at. So I have interpreting the past and figuring out what actually happened, what were the drivers, what was the actual cause effect, you know, what actually caused an effect? Because in many cases, I think people are confusing the cause and the effect. And in the case of the drug overdose deaths, for example, and then trying to, once I can determine that, and that's usually what I'm doing as an actuary, looking at the history to try to figure out what current policies or current trends may project into the future. 
I mean, of course, it's difficult to predict the future, but if I cannot interpret what the cause and effect entanglements were in the past, and if I get the cause and effect mixed up in the past, or just totally misinterpret what what was involved at all, um, or if I take homicides and suicides, which may have totally different dynamics with regards to gun deaths, for example, I may say, okay, I'm going to do, um, you know, change this kind of gun policy and look to the future and end up with, say, a drop in gun suicides, yay, but an explosion, as it were, in gun homicides. I mean, this is, I'm just not even saying what the policy change would be. I'm just saying this is a potential effect if I don't make a, dis a, a meaningful distinction and just dump all of these together. So, <laughs> so you can kind of see what I'm getting at here with uh, trying to step back, get away from these cognitive shortcuts, which work in a lot of everyday situations. But when I'm really trying to get at the heart of more complex situations that may be you know, not so usual and interpreting statistics, which is not what we were evolved to do. If you think about it, not explicitly. Yeah. We were, you know, throw a ball in the air and catch it. Sure. That kind of doing cognition, our brains were, you know, naturally evolved to do, but not doing equations on a piece of paper. That's a different kind of level. And if you were doing that kind of explicit quantitative reasoning, you have to get away from these shortcuts and explicitly think through things that may seem unnatural. And that's because they are seeking multiple explanations when one is emotionally satisfying and to know that the world is much bigger than the small little slice that you are being presented and that you have to explicitly seek for what, and so this is the availability bias, that you have to explicitly seek what is the whole picture versus the small slice that is being plucked out basically for entertainment purposes. So that's been Stump, <laughs> Death and Taxes, and I've got a CDC Wonder update to uh, update my graphs and charts for some future videos and graphs too, um, to provide you full context for mortality trends. So I'll be talking with y'all another time. Bye-bye. Oh,